Oh, good morning, Outlook family. It sure is good to see everyone this morning. You're doing well? Even if you're not doing well, you're in the right place, right? No matter how we're doing, it sure is good to be together. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm really looking forward to jumping into God's Word, whether you're with me here in the room or you're with us online. I'm just glad we're together. I'm just really glad. Uh, you heard Amy mention Adventure Week starts tomorrow night. We are quickly uh, getting up to that 250 ceiling. That, that's, all the, that's all the supplies we, we uh, are ready for here in terms of numbers of kids. So there's a little bit more room. So kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, neighbors, you name it. If uh, you know a, a, a child who would enjoy Adventure Week, uh, there's still a little bit more time uh, to get them involved. That would be a lot of fun. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Here's another thing I'm looking forward to. Uh, as we begin each of these sermons in our uh, summer study in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, we are beginning with reading the passage of the morning uh, and some different outlookers doing that. And I'm very happy to have three of our elders join us this morning to read today's passage. So will you welcome from me Tony Armour, Nan Gill, and Paula Hearn. Come on up, guys. Here we go. Good morning. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Wonderful. Hey, thanks guys so much. Yeah, appreciate them. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this powerful passage that we're about to dive into this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be our teacher, that we, you would use these next few minutes to plant these powerful truths deep in our hearts that they could bear fruit. Lord, we're here. Our Bibles are open. Our minds are open. Our hearts are open. So we ask that you would teach us, speak to us, and use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week... Well, we learned as we began the series, nothing compares to Jesus and life 
in him. He is in every way God, and we cannot afford to underestimate him or consider him anything less than the creator and king of the universe. It was from this passage that we begin to lay out the truth uh, that is the title of our series. He is the ultimate, and he is supreme. So now, today, in sermon two of our series, as we begin to take one step further into this powerful New Testament letter to the Hebrews, alongside this first essential truth, the author of Hebrews now lays down another. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. And through his perfect humanity, he has accomplished our salvation. Now, this is a pretty huge thought when you think about it. God became human. Why? And why was that and is that so essential, so important? Well, when we get into subjects like this one, words can fall short. God's word doesn't fall short, but my words will likely fall short and can easily end up missing the mystery of what we're talking about in an attempt for clarity. We're going to give it our best shot here, but we're talking about something that has left all of us uh, throughout the centuries, right? Deeply, it makes us think deep thoughts and feel deep things about the fact that God would become human and do this for us. It is a broad and glorious truth. Authors and theologians have said it in countless and helpful and sometimes even poetic ways, but they all end up sounding something like this. God became like us so we could become like him. But man, what it took for that to happen, this is certainly the bottom line of our passage today. And so we're going to put it like this. In his death, his rising, his living, Jesus is exactly everything we need. Jesus is exactly everything we need. Jesus suffered human death to save us from ours. Jesus conquered human death to free us from fearing ours. Jesus lived a human life to help us as we live ours. Let's unpack this by starting out with that first concept. In his death, Jesus is exactly everything we need. We read here, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now, we, his followers, we make much of the fact that Jesus died, our Lord died on the cross, as it puts it here, tasting death for everyone. Why do we make such a big deal about this? Well, it's because of this. Jesus lived, you heard me say it to Gunnar just a minute ago, a sinless life, but he was resilient in death. So see, you, biblically speaking, you can't talk about death without talking about its cause which is not cancer or strokes or heart attacks or COVID. In the end, the death, death as the Bible puts it, eternal death, spiritual death, the death that will end up meaning, uh, that will end up mattering forever, that death is caused by sin. Here's a weird thought. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, they'd still be alive today. Meaning the sin, doing life away from the giver of life, God himself, that is what brought death into this human system that we all now live in. So why is this so important for us and to, so central to our faith? A sinless son of God willingly died a brutal death. See, that reverses the gears of this whole system that we find ourselves stuck in. A perfect person who never deserved to die willingly died. 
So this, is, this throws a stick into the spokes. This is a monkey wrench into the gears of this whole system that we found ourselves on as humans. But I love this fact. He just tasted death. Just tasted it. Just enough so that he could then leave it behind. He died a death we didn't deserve, but we did. Don't think punishment, think consequence. Jesus suffered the death that I deserved, the one that was coming to me, that I had coming. We read that it was only right that God should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader to bring them, that's you and me, into their salvation. Now, this word for perfect leader here is one worth taking a moment to pay attention to. In the original language, it means pioneer, it means chief, it can mean author, and it certainly means leader. It means the one who takes the lead or who takes initiative. We'll see this again later in chapter 12. It's not a word that's used often in the New Testament, but it's used twice in the letter to the Hebrews when Jesus is described as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What is this getting at? It's getting at the fact that the Creator stepped into creation, time and space. He both lived in it and commanded it. Think about it. Jesus is God in the flesh. He steps into the creation that He has made. He falls asleep when He's tired. He's rained on by the rain clouds He fashions. The maker of stars sweated under the sun. But He also commanded diseases to leave and storms to be silent. The Creator stepped into creation. The author stepped into the story and changed the plot, interacting with the characters and altering their arc. The leader, the chief, or the captain stepped up to the front lines, didn't just command from behind, but instead stepped up to the front in the heat of the battle where it was fiercest and carved out by, it says, his suffering, a place for you and I to stand. He defeated an enemy that was coming at us and now clears ground for us to live our lives in a way that we could never have done on our own. Through his suffering, it says, he was the perfect leader. Peter uh, captures this really punchy, in a real punchy way in Acts chapter 3. In one of the earliest Christian sermons, he says to the crowd, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. This puts it all together real quick. You killed, they knew Jesus wasn't just a dusty rabbi from Nazareth, but instead he was also the author of life. They were wrapping their heads around this, incarnatal, this incarnation truth that God came to us in the flesh, in Jesus. Jesus died to make a way of salvation for you and for me. This is the central truth of the gospel. It is the good news. It is the single most important thing that you could ever tell anyone. And it's the single most important thing you can ever be told. And it goes something like this. You see, we're all broken. And God came to us to let himself be broken too. We all suffer many times by our own self-inflicted wounds or the wounds we give each other. Jesus came to suffer and be wounded right along with us, being inflicted by others, and maybe even in the most cosmic sense, if we'll allow it in our imaginations, suffer, uh, inflicted by us. 
God created us with an ability to choose, a freedom to decide how we live our lives. And we exercise that freedom every day. You and I, whether you're here with me in the room or you're online or you're watching after the fact, we're we're making choices every day with a freedom that God has given us. And our natural inclination is to steer away from Him and toward ourselves. It's my inclination and it's yours too. To be selfish or nearsighted or forgetful or petty. Even the best among us on our best moments amidst our best circumstances are unable to cut through this fog that clouds our relationship with our Creator. This is the human condition. But more than that, this brokenness, our depraved condition, our sin, as the Bible puts it, brings with it consequences, logical ones, really. A life lived apart from God now, which you and I are free to choose, will continue apart from God in eternity. In other words, when we choose to live our own independent lives apart from Him while we're on this earth, we will continue that same chosen course and trajectory when we leave this earth. So God sees this. God knows this. God cares deeply about this. And He does something about it for us. Jesus comes to earth fully God and fully human. And He shows us not only how to live, but He then gives our lives back to us as they were intended to be, showing us how to live with Him forever. He came to rescue us from ourselves. We deserve to die. He died in our place, and as we'll see in a minute, rose from death. He redeemed us, providing us the chance to exchange our low-grade, broken, pardon me, and dim lives for His high-octane, bright, and healthy life. You can say yes to that life today. You can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. You'll find popping up there a series of buttons. One of them says, saying yes to Jesus. We'd love to continue that conversation. You can always go to outlookchurch.org slash yes if you're checking us out online. You can go to that URL. Place your faith in Him and receive His grace. And you can do that today. And we here at Outlook are just a bunch of people who figured out that yes to Jesus is a really smart thing to do. Really smart thing to say. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have ourselves all straightened out. Don't even think about. Don't even think that that might be true. Right? But we found out the one who does have all the answers. And we found the one who will help our lives move forward. Say yes to him today. Verse 11 As we continue. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Now when you read this, let's not be put off by the word holy. If Jesus is in it, we should give it its full hearing. We've already read Jesus is my sustainer. He's my leader. He's my author and thus my authority. And he is bringing me ever deeper into my salvation and into yours. That's one way to describe that he is making me holy. He's growing me. And yes, if holy means making me more like himself, then sure, I can accept that healthier and more whole, clear-minded and clean-hearted. And friends, if the title Christian has lost some of its truest meaning in our current culture, then I think this one's worth trying on for size. Brothers and sisters of Jesus. A breed of people walking the earth now connected, now, right? Now connected to our Creator. 
Children of the Father who loves like no other and is in fact love himself. In this world you will be like Jesus, the Apostle John once wrote. And we might hear that and things like what we're reading here and go, whoa, 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 not me. I'm I'm afraid that's probably not going to be me. And I'm going to say to you, hold up and let God speak. Because the promise of the scriptures is that as we say yes to Jesus, we are now starting a life of learning from him and his Holy Spirit is doing work in us. Yes, making us more and more like him. Like him in love. Like him in compassion. Like Jesus in action and in ethic and in service and in life change and even in wisdom. We can become more and more like him. So in his death, he's exactly everything we need. And in his rising to conquer that death that looms over every human, he is exactly what we need. Verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Let's make sure we realize that that is in the past tense. That's us, though, being described here, right? Children made of flesh and blood. Children who know that no matter how long we live, our lives are too short, at least on this earthly side of things, and will one day end. And that fact looms over us, casting a long shadow over every human life. But Jesus, we read, has broken the power of death. He went to where we all must, all must go, to human death. But then he did what none of us can do. He rose again. He reversed the curse. He blew the circuits. He beat the system. And he did it for us. Now, we may not stop to think about this much, but when we do, in a moment like this morning, we realize just how profound this truth is. As God lovers and Jesus followers, we know that our earthly lives will still end, but that doesn't mean at all that our lives will end. And so since we have these finite and fragile flesh and blood bodies, Jesus chose to take on the same. He fully incarnated himself into our lives. He wrapped himself in such flesh because only by doing so could he suffer our fatal fate and then transcend it, breaking the power of death and of him who holds it. Satan has the power of death only insofar as Satan entices us towards sin, which is, as we just learned, the poison pill of death. But friends, let's be really clear when we talk about the devil. He is a dog on a chain. In Christ, you always have greater power. Here's here's what's happened. Jesus overpowers sin, pinning it to the ground in the perfect life that he lived. He lived without sinning, full of temptation, never giving into it. He did not sin. Then Jesus reaches the threshold that all sin leads to, and he never deserved death. And he blows it to bits by walking out of his own tomb. And so in in doing both these things, he overthrows the devil who traffics in both sin and death. We read that his foot is on the devil's neck. Amen? Jackie Hill Perry writes about this in her book, Holier Than Thou, when she says... 
Satan had claim on everybody who has lived from Adam to Abraham, from Moses to David, from Solomon to Isaiah, from Malachi to me. And you, born of flesh and blood, nobody ever has had the moral freedom and the innate power to resist Satan so effectively except Jesus. Because Satan had no claim on him. Jesus never gave Satan room. A life full of testing and temptation, but never gave him room. And now, in Christ, Satan has no claim on us either. Any ground he has is only ground we've given to him. And it's ground that in any moment, we, in Christ's power, can take back. Verse 15, only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Let's, let's uh, notice here something in the, in the previous verse and in this one right here. Only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Only in this way could he set us free. This reminds us of the fact that Jesus is indeed the only way to God. This is an unpopular truth in our world today. However, we have to come to grips with the reality that you and I are not going to carve our own path toward God. That's the way we would like to be able to do it. Kind of make it up as you go. And believe that God, in all our sincerity, will accept us for whatever path that we've found. But the fact is, I don't have a vertical high enough to reach God all by myself, right? What I do need to realize is that God, in his love, has reached all the way down in Christ to reach me. That he has taken the initiative. He is our perfect leader to show his love to me. And so then, when you realize that, that God has taken all the, the action necessary... He is exactly everything we need. Then accepting his way in the fact that he is the way God came to earth as Christ and his incarnation, then it makes perfect sense that there is a way to God. He's provided it. He's declared it. We get to learn it and teach it and, and celebrate it and accept it. I pray that that is true for all of us. He's exactly everything we need to free us from the fear we read here of death. Now let's face it, apart from our hope in Christ, death is a very scary thought. But we have hope in Christ. Unlike so, so many, we are freed from the fear of our earthly lives ending. Jesus' resurrection unleashes a whole new reality regarding our human relationship to death. It is redefined. This is no small thing. This is no small aspect of our faith. Jesus' resurrection takes a whole list of things that humans once considered impossible and now moves them into the possible category. There is new power available to live. God can transform and inhabit a human heart and death no longer has the final word. All these things are now possible. Here's how Paul put it to the Romans, if I can skip over there for a moment. He says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. Our Master is not mastered by anything, including death. And because He is our Master, we receive His virtue. Death no longer has mastery over Him. Death no longer has mastery over us. Jesus the crucified one is Jesus the conquering one. This is how Paul put it to Timothy, our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love that. 
Jesus has introduced something new. Immortality. Life eternal with God. Death comes for each of us, relentlessly, sometimes suddenly. We're reminded of it when we attend a funeral. We're forced to consider it when we lose a friend or loved one. The rest of the time, we avoid it and put it off at all costs and by all means. But this, this changes everything. I'm going to live forever with Him. My earthly life and my eternal life are now the same life. So how worried in our everyday life, it begins to draw the question, how worried should I be about this? How hurt should I be about that? What risks should I take for God? And are they risks at all? The fear of death enslaves, we read here. It, it paralyzes us. Freedom from such fear energizes us. It expands our point of view. Our primary concern becomes not just survival and self-preservation, but our lives are now subsumed by our loving mission. Whenever I encounter this truth, I'm reminded of the, of the true story from history about the missionaries of the one-way ticket. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but uh, a little over 100 years ago, there were a group of missionaries that just were so in love with Jesus and so passionate but with the idea of sharing him in places in the world where no one had ever heard of him. Hostile places that were known for yeah, being, being violent and hostile against missionaries. This is what the missionaries of the one-way ticket would do because they were certainly freed from their fear of death. They didn't pack all their belongings before they got on a boat and headed to some faraway place. They didn't pack all their belongings in a suitcase. They packed them in a coffin. Because they knew that that was going to be the way they made their way back. They were ready to go ahead and place their whole lives on the altar of the mission of Jesus. Sharing his gospel in places that were going to risk their lives. They were missionaries of the one-way ticket. Now that's not a calling for everybody in its specifics. But it can be inspiring for all of us in its general truth. That we can be people who lay our whole lives before Jesus and say, God, whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. And if it's dangerous or if it's risky or if it costs me something or if it stretches me in some way, I'm willing. I'm ready. Oh, I might be a little scared, don't get me wrong, but I'm ready to give the, even that fear to you and do it for you. To live and die for you. Jesus takes us to that place. In his death, in his rising... And now finally, in his living, Jesus is exactly everything we need. We wrap up here in verses 17 and 18. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. It was, we read here, necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. This was the way it was going to happen. This is the way it needed to work. God knew that only as he comes as a human and reverses the curse of death for us, that he can make a way for our reconnection with him. This wasn't a plan. This was the plan. We'll read about this idea that Jesus is this perfect merciful high priest later in Hebrews. So we'll go more into it later as the letter goes more into it later. But check this out in verse 18. Since he himself, who's he himself? Jesus Christ, right? Who's Jesus Christ? God, 100% God, 100% human. Since he himself has gone through our God, gone through suffering and testing, he is what? Able 
to help us when we are being tested. Man, this should just, if we think about it, blow our minds. What sets our faith apart? What sets our God, our concept of God, this relationship we have with God? What sets God apart from every other attempted expression at this at spirituality and faith and what a deity means and all these things that we might be trying to come up with in our human history? What sets Christianity apart? Our God has firsthand experience in suffering and testing. Jesus knew pain and sorrow. The prophet Isaiah foresaw him as someone despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I love that. Familiar with pain. A mighty God, the creator of the universe, familiar with my pain. God has shared our humanity that he could transform it, restore it from its degraded state. We read elsewhere he is the second Adam. He is the one who comes and does not fall, right? as Adam did. What does it mean that God became human? It means he made himself vulnerable. He was hurt and misunderstood. He was despised and rejected. He was betrayed and abandoned. He was tempted. He was tested. He was stretched. He was gossiped about. He was ridiculed. You name it. And all that means this. When you and I suffer, when you and I go through things, whatever it might be, prayer to our God can be our first go-to because we have such a friend in Jesus. Amen? He's been through everything that we've been through. It makes Him exactly everything that we need. I want to invite you to take your bread and cup here as we just keep kind of meditating on this thought. The night before Jesus went to the cross, He institutes this chance to remember him. And he asks his followers to do that. We do it every Sunday. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. He, he, is, he is saying, I have a body. I am incarnate. I am God in the flesh. And I'm going to let that body be broken for you. It's the death that we've been talking about. He suffers it. He moves through it. And he says, that broken body, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Commemorate it. Remember it. And thank me every time you can. So let's do just that as we take the bread together. And as we take the cup, he says that this this is a a new promise that God is making. where God's doing a new thing. We read last week, it's, it's kind of the final word. It's the culmination of all that God's been doing to reveal himself. He does so in Jesus. And I'm going to seal that new promise in my blood. I'm going to spill that blood. For you, I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. And I can't help but think, when when you think about Jesus, naked, beaten, bleeding, dying, and being made fun of and ridiculed all at the same time, the God of the universe doing that, choosing that for us, I can't help but thank Him, which is exactly what Jesus asks us to do every time we take the cup. So let's do that together as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we can't thank you enough. There's so many things, Lord, we can't do. We're not good at them. We could never achieve them. That's the beauty of your gospel. You find us and meet us exactly where we are with infinite love and patience. You understand us and you love us more than we can imagine. You put your arm around us. 
And as we give ourselves to you, as we accept your grace by faith, we then walk with you. And you walk with us, and you don't leave us. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can take everything about us and transparently, honestly, and and reliably bring it to you, and you wash us, you cleanse us, you accept us, and you guide us. None of this we can do on our own. Thank you, Jesus. We're not on our own. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.